0: I would like to look at the three trainings of ethics, concentration, and wisdom. Because this is what the Buddha says about the three training. It is due to the development of ethics, concentration, and wisdom that have reached enlightenment. And to me, I found it very interesting these quotes Because in a way, the Buddha says, the reason I attained enlightenment is not just because of one thing, but it's because of three different things. And to me, what he shows again is how he's trying to address the development of the whole being. That's what I like to look at today. First, ethics. If we look at ethics, It is our relationship to the world and to others based on compassion. So it's not just rules and regulation, but it's kind of in a way, how do we relate to ourselves? How do we relate to others? How do we relate to the world? And the first is harmlessness. And to me, this is something we could cultivate. We could try to to look, to reflect upon in terms of our time together. Generally, we forget about ethics because we're too busy. We have this to do, we have that to do, we are stressed, and often we can't really reflect. We don't have often the time to really consider how we relate in a kind of very conscious, in a very deep way. And I think a retreat is an opportunity to, to notice, in a way, am I cultivating homelessness in my body, speech, and mind? And in terms of our mind, this is very interesting. Am I homeless to myself and others? Am I plotting revenge? Am I giving myself a hard time? What kind of language do I use? And so in a way to explore that, not again to judge it, but to see, Could I soften the language? Could I, in a way, look at others in a different way, maybe in a less harsh way? Then you have generosity, and generosity is very much to cultivate what I would call tolerance, to give ourselves the time and the space, and to give others time and space. To me this is, very, often we have judgment which are so fast. Especially on the first day of a retreat. In silence you have more or less decided, Oh, I like that one, that one, ooh, too strange, or I'm not sure about it. Very interesting how our judgment goes so fast when we don't know anything about the person. I was in a retreat recently and there was this young woman saying, everybody looks so mean. <laughs> and I tried to say to her, I'm fairly sure they are not. <laughs> and so she did not like to be with these mean people, but they did not do anything to her, I mean, at all. It was very interesting, you know, how quickly, in a way, we rushed to judgment. And so in a way, during the time together, Can we cultivate generosity of heart toward ourselves and toward others? Then there is respect. Respecting ourselves, respecting others, respecting the space, respecting, in a way, the schedule, respecting the the retreat, respecting the space. I think this is very important. And I think part of that is really, in a way, I would really like to ask you. Like, you know, this is the first day and you are settling. I can understand that. <laughs> but I think by tomorrow, I hope you can, in a way, really arrive in the retreat. And in a way, you can really find your place. And you, kind of, you find a place to sit. You find a place to sit. And to sit on the cushion, to sit on the chair, and I would really like to ask you if you could come on time. I mean, the bell is rung 10 minutes before we start. (laughs) And we're not really rushed. We don't have you know, to kind of rush from this, rush to that. So I would be very grateful if you could be on time. I would be very grateful if you could stay on your cushion or on your chair during the whole time, that if you come, you really come to that sitting and then you know, leave when the bell is rung. If you have too much pain, then please don't start on the floor. Start on the chair and stay there. <laughs> you know, to really try to, you know, if you really want to benefit from this retreat, in a way you really have to respect the retreat, respect the environment, respect the schedule, and I hope you can do that during our time together. And then there is a silence. I mean, at the end of the retreat, we'll talk about creative wise speech. But during the time together, we cultivate silence. And there is really a reason for that. I mean, you have 660 or 56 days in the year, and this is only seven days. You have the whole 349 days to speak as much as you want. But we cultivate silence. First, act to me very important to become friends with ourselves, so that we don't need someone else to uh, affirm our existence. This is enough for me to appreciate myself, to appreciate my being, and I see the retreat in silence as really becoming friend with ourselves. But the other aspect of the silence I find wonderful on a retreat is that it enables you to see that you don't speak to anybody else, but you speak to yourself a lot. <laughs> and this you can see. And what do you do when you speak to yourself about commenting this, commenting that, or I must say this to that person having imaginary conversation, etc., etc.? And if you look, most of it is about me? Look at me? What about me? And then you can see through the silence how a lot of our languaging is about me, is about selfing. And it doesn't mean that we cannot do this selfing. It is very useful, it is very important. But can we develop a creative-wise selfing, a creative-wise me in that silence? So we kind of explore the language we use in our mind. We play with it, we change it, we soften it, we question it. And then there is clarity. What is it that helps us to be clear? What is it that seems to make us confused? And really to kind of look at this during the time we are here. And this is, in a way, The next one, the next training is concentration, and that's what helps us to be clear. Concentration is the ability to pay attention, to focus. But often, you see, a lot of people tell me, I try to meditate and I can't concentrate. Like, I really can't concentrate. I have problem concentrating in meditation. But what is interesting, is that all of us have the ability to concentrate. And often, in daily life, we concentrate too much. When we kind of concentrate too much on a thought, on a feeling, on a sensation, on a sound, we're just totally immersed in it, overwhelmed by it, caught, oblivious to anything else. So we can focus in a negative way. (laughs) Here we're trying to focus in a meditative way, in a positive way. And so in a way, the concentration here is to rest our attention on an object in the experience. That's what we're trying to do, to just rest. We're not trying to grab it. We're not trying to catch it. We're trying to just rest our attention on the breath, on the body. Tomorrow we'll try to rest our attention on the sound. And so in a way what is interesting with the focusing, with concentration is notice as soon as you come back to the anchor for example the breath or the body you come back to everything in that moment but when you lost into the thought you're not here if you've gone backward in time in your past, or if you go into future holidays, or retirement plans, or whatever it is, you are not here. And so in a way, suddenly we see, ah, I'm gone. And then we come back. And when you come back to the breath, you don't just come back to the breath. You come back to the whole moment. And that's why we try to cultivate concentration, not just you know, to be concentrated, like tomato paste and be more potent but more so that we can be more aware conscious of our experience not only our inner experience but also our outer experience of what is going on right now in this moment in this world so we focus but the way we focus as Sharda already mentioned is with a non-judgmental awareness. So we're not focusing in order to say, ah, good, bad, you know, got it, you know? We are not, awareness is not making us into a policeman or a policewoman standing on the shoulder, this is good, this is bad, not at all. But it's kind of a, an awareness which makes us see clearly what is going on. That's what we're trying to develop a kind of really wide open awareness. And so that's why I think one point about the concentration we're trying to develop is what I would call an inclusive concentration. Because of course we could try to cultivate an exclusive concentration where we really concentrate on a very narrow point, and we try to exclude everything else. But I don't think this is very useful in terms of taking this into our daily life. Through that exclusive concentration, we can get great meditative state, and we can talk about this another day. But I think what is more important to develop is what I call inclusive concentration. So it's a concentration which anchors us in the moment, but within a wide open awareness. So we're not trying to stop the thought, all the feeling, all the sensation, all the sounds, but we're trying to be, have an anchor so it kind of grounds us, and then we have this open awareness, and the way I've described it is that we have the foreground and the background. In the foreground, you have the object you want to look at. You want to keep a, help you in terms of anchoring the breath, the body, the sound. If you are asthmatic, I would not recommend the breath. If you have tinnitus, I would not recommend the sound. So again, we bring different <laughs> objects so it will suit better your different conditions. But you, so, and then you can play with what you put in the foreground, what you put in the background. You can first have the breath, and that Sharda was showing, then we can open to the body. Then the breath goes into the background. Or when we're walking, We can have the body in the foreground, then the body can go in the background, and then we can open to what we see, to what we hear. But trying to see and hear in a different way, without grasping, without making stories, without rejecting, but really being aware of the color, being aware of the turkeys, kind of, you know, and their little funny sounds. Just very aware of them, not thinking of, you know, how you could eat them at Christmas? Ooh, that one looks nicely round. But just seeing them in that moment, they're trying to be alive. They're trying to keep alive, so that in a way, trying to play with that foreground in that background, and in a way, use uh, uh, the retreat as a mean to explore. So we give you suggestion, but then it's for you to see what is it that is more helpful. Is it better for me to just be with the breath? Is it helpful to kind of move from the breath to the body? Or tomorrow, move from the breath to the sound? And maybe then, stay with the sound. And I would say that the concentration helps us to develop stability and calm. But this is not magical, but it is actually not It's not the amount of time that you are focused which will help you to be calm and stable, but it's how soon and how often you come back. So the concentration is not so much about holding onto the object, but it's more kind of being with the object as an anchoring device. And then, of course, we will have thought. But we will have thought because we have a brain, because there is electricity in our brain, it's working. In the same way you can't stop yourself hearing, you won't stop yourself thinking. But you can hear in a different way. You can think in a different way. And so what happened with the concentration, the main element of it, the main effect, is that you try to stay with the breath, for example, then you go off. But then you have that intention to be aware. So you see, ah, I am doing something else. And you see, oh, you make the choice to come back. Then you go again. Then you make the choice to come back. And each time you do this, you do two things. You don't feed the mental habit, and you dissolve its power by coming back. And then over time, the mental habit can go back to the function that all our thoughts are function, creating function of this organism. But over time, they become habitual, and they kind of like kind of we we kind of shh, go easily that way. One thing you might have found yourself doing is planning. You sit in meditation, you try to watch the breath, and then vroom, planning. You might be planning where you're going to walk. You might be planning how much you're going to eat. You might be planning what you're going to buy in the supermarket on Sunday evening. You see, but look at your planning. Look at it. And I can pretty much be sure that it won't be very original. And very likely you have thought it already many times. And then, in a way, it's a question. Do you want to plan for the 100th and 10th time? And on and on and on. The same thing going round and round in circles. Or could you take a little holiday from the planning and think, maybe I don't need to plan this right now. Because I travel a lot. I used to have this habit of sitting in meditation and planning my luggage what I would put in my luggage, you know? I go to Mexico in six months, what should I put in my luggage? A bit early. (laughs) A bit early. So now I see, ah, luggage. I don't need to do this now. So way what I would suggest as a little kind of a play is if you notice, if you plan the same thing five times, then to let it go. (laughs) Next thing five (laughs) times, then you let it go. To try to see that yes, planning is useful. You need to plan to come here, but then notice when it becomes a loop, and then it becomes very repetitive. And so in a way to see that if we come back, if we have a thousand thoughts, this gives us the opportunity to come back a thousand times. So to have thought is not a problem. It's just to see, ah, that's what I am thinking. Maybe I don't need to do this right now. And then gently coming back to the breath, coming back to the breath. And through that, then we become more spacious. And then when we want to think, we can. And if we don't want to, we can let it be. Then there is wisdom, experiential wisdom. And this is a vipassana aspect of the practice, which is to look deeply into the experience, to penetrate into the experience. So it's really much to go inside the experience, because a lot of the time we are above our experience, or we have idea about our experience. And this meditation we're doing, we're trying to be more inside the whole of the experience. So then, as we'll, I will talk about next time, We can creatively engage with it. But if we have the experience and move so quickly from it, thinking about it or kind of having an idea about it, we've already moved from it. Instead of what is it I'm feeling in my body? What is it is going on in my mind? So trying to be within the experience. And so this is not an intellectual analysis, but it's really more an experiential kind of a wisdom and a, a going inside the experience. And what we see when we do that is we experience change. And you might say, but change? I know change. The day follow night, the springs follow the winter. I know change. But do we leave change? This is a thing we seem to have a tendency to permanentize things. Today, you might have been sleepy. And you, did not you think, oh, I am so sleepy today, and I'm going to be sleepy like this the whole time. Or if you have a pain in the knee, I'm going to have this pain the whole time. I can't do this. We have a headache. It's not just now we're going to have it for ever after at least a week. So, in a way, we have a tendency to kind of something happen, then we say it was always like this and it will always be like this. We have a tendency to kind of make things longer than they are. And through that, we create suffering. And so, in a way, in the meditation, throughout the day, with the meditative awareness being really, in a way, in the change, to be aware of the change, the thought, the feeling, the sensations, the sounds, things arising and passing away, to kind of see, ah, and also to see that even within themselves, they change as well. Even if you have something which lasts a little long, then if you go inside, that too changes. So really being kind of, in a way, in tune with change. Flowing with change, and that, if we can really penetrate in the experience in that way and really experience organically change, then that leads us to develop clarity, develop openness. And for example, you might have experienced today pain or discomfort, and I would say the main reason is because you know this is the first day. And you kind of, you know, your body has to adapt to the sitting, to the stillness, to the doing this several times in the day. But think about me in Korea. I used to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and go to bed at 9 o'clock at night, and I used to sit 10 hours a day, not in one go, but, you know, 50 minutes, five zero, and then I used to walk only 10 minutes, another 50 minutes. And by the end of the day, it was so painful. You know? But what was interesting, the next morning, it was fine again. The end of the day, same, painful. <laughs> but it was very interesting because I learned a lot. Not that you know, it was fun, but I could be with the pain so differently. And I could see it really accorded to my state of mind. I could have the similar pain. And if I was really concentrated, really present, then I would not grasp at it, and I would just see it as just this sensation, changing, moving, pulsing, and then it was just as it was, arising and passing away. If I was totally distracted, I was somewhere else, so I was not aware of the pain. That's why the time passed so fast when we think about everything but the meditation but generally we are half-half, half half distracted, half concentrated, and then we're more aware of the pain. But to see, often what we do is we grasp at the pain, we identify, my knee, my pain, my knee is going to drop off, I will never walk again,
1: (laughs) which generally
0: does not happen. And in a way, instead, trying to go inside the sensation, How does it feel? It's very interesting and it changes. I remember I was doing a month's retreat once and I was so happy to do this month long silent retreat and after three days I had such pain in the stomach and then I could see I know the 27 day it's going to be so bad and I thought wait a minute just stay with it as it is. It was so interesting to see. Sometime it was there, sometime it was not, and I could see what would help me not to have it, to have less of it. But it was not one thing. It was so changing. Being there one minute, not being there at all the next. It was fascinating. So, in a way, to kind of, you know, become interested in the changing nature. And of course, if you have some pain in the body, especially when you sit in meditation, there is a criterion. If when you get up, the pain continues, then you really need to change posture. You know, sit on a chair, really change, explore the posture. But when you get up, if the pain goes, then this is fine. And what you will notice is that at the beginning of the day, you have less pain, then toward the last sitting in the afternoon, there might be a little more pain faster. And that's why you might decide to sit on a chair. So again, try to see. This is not a torture camp. At the same time, It can be an interesting way to work with discomfort and to kind of try to be with it in a different way. Then we have sleepiness. And sleepiness that again happens on the first day, very common, also when it's hot. And at the same time, you know, it could be raining. So it might be nice that it's hot, as long as it's hot. And so, in a way, to see, again, to, be, to see when, we, when something, when we hot, how we can be with this, kind of just be with the heat, how it changes, instead of grasping at it or not wanting it to be there. So, sleepiness. Sleepiness, some people have a tendency to fall asleep, but because they fall asleep easily. And then when you sit, it might be very difficult to keep awake, so if it's that, I would say before you come to sit, try to walk briskly for at least five minutes to kind of really move the energy in the body. Also when you sit, I would say keep the eyes open, just gazing gently in front of you, not fixing anything. If you start to feel sleepy in the meditation, then really check your posture, straighten the back, open the eyes, And then you can bring a question, as I suggested, who is sitting here, who is breathing, to just bring a little more brightness and then you can go back to the breath, to the body, to the sound. And also to see that with the sleepiness, you start and you're okay, and then it comes, and it too passes. It's not there all the time in the same way. So also exploring the changing nature of sleepiness. Then another thing I'd like to talk about a little is cultivation and effect. Is the fact that when we sit in meditation, when we walk in meditation, when you're on a meditation retreat, we come to a retreat. I would say generally the, the idea would be to cultivate something, to cultivate concentration, to cultivate looking deeply, to cultivate wisdom to cultivate compassion toward ourselves, toward everybody else. And at the same time, often when we're on the retreat, we focus more on the effect of it. Because often we come on a retreat not because we could have gone and done a basketball training, but of course because we have an intention. We like to be more wise, we would like to be more compassionate. And so in a way, often there is this kind of more focusing on the effect of it. And so to be careful of that. that of course, the meditation will have some effect. But to be careful of kind of checking after a few seconds. You barely seated in meditation watching the breath and already you check. Am I quiet? Have my thoughts stopped? You know, is it working? And so then you're doing checking, you're not doing meditation, you're kind of checking the effect, and personally I think what is important is really to do the cultivation, cultivating the concentration, cultivating the inquiry, and the effect will happen in its own time. I had a friend who came to me and she said, oh, I have been meditating for 10 years, and it's really my meditation is still not good, And I said, what about your life? She said, oh, it's much better, (laughs) much better. But then when we talk about our meditation, she could see that actually our meditation was better, but our meditation was not ideal. Like we often have an ideal, idealistic idea of meditation. No thought, no this, no that total calm, or whatever it is. But, of course, sometimes we can experience that. But often it's a kind of brief. What we're doing is really cultivating. And to me, what is the most important effect is actually the effect. Notice, when you sit in meditation or when you do the walking meditation, even if you have a bad meditation, you feel different at the end of it. There is a little releasing. There is a little de-grasping. And this is what will make a difference in your daily life. Because that effect will actually diminish the intensity and the length of the habits of mind, of heart, of the body. So in a way, to be careful of the, I would say, the abstract notion we have about the effect but to really feel more, be more aware of this releasing, of this de-grasping. So in a way, the cultivation is to cultivate the concentration, to cultivate the looking deeply, and the effect over time will remove the obstacle to wisdom and compassion, so that then in a way that's what I would call a training. We're training two different things. Removing the obstacle and then cultivating the wisdom and compassion so that when we go back to our daily life, we can really manifest it because we'll have cultivated enough stability and openness that creatively this can come out. But in a way, in order to be on retreat, in order to cultivate meditation in our daily life, I would say we need two other things. We need first great faith. When we sit here, we need to have great faith in ourselves, in our potential, that I can do this. I'm able to do this meditation. I'm able to try to concentrate, to try to look deeply. I'm able to, in a way, follow the schedule. I have the potential to do that. I think it's very important to kind of believe in our potential. And at the same time, we'll have more faith as we see that it works. When I was in Korea, once I was doing this three-month retreat, and my work was to wash the bathroom at 4 o'clock every afternoon. And every afternoon, there was a nun washing herself in the communal bathroom. She was in the way. And first I say, you know, could not you come at another time? And she said, no, 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 I have to chant. I need to be pure and clean. So what could I say to that? So every day I would cleaning around her. And every day I was upset. She's here again. How come? Oh, really, you know. And when I did the meditation, I just meditated. I did not think about her or the bathroom or anything else. And I just did the, what I will bring later on in the week, just questioning. What is this? What is this? That's what I do in Korea. And then after two weeks of this, one day I go to the bathroom, and she's there, I am there, and it's totally fine. There is nothing. And then I saw, ah, this is the way the meditation works. It's not by me telling myself, you must not be like this, you must be a good Buddhist. No, no, no. <laughs> by just cultivating, just the samatha, the vipassana, the concentration, the inquiry, then there is this releasing. And then it can happen upon contact with the condition. So anyway, that's what we're trying to develop that. And so having the faith that we can do it. And that's what I thought was wonderful about my teacher, Master Cousin. Anybody who came, they got the same rap. Exactly the same thing. And first I thought, this is not original. He's a Zen master. He should say something different. (laughs) And then I realized that he had great faith that anybody could do this. And to me, too, I have great faith that I can do it and that you also can do it. But in a way, in order to do it, you also need great courage. And it is not easy to sit. You see, often you have this association of meditation with relaxing. Oh, I'm going to do a meditation retreat. And your friend might say, oh, it's going to be so relaxing. <laughs> and then you have done your first day and you're so exhausted. You know, I think, God, this is hard work. It's really tiring. And it is tiring. It is kind of, you know, that's why it requires great courage to sit here, to do it. And there are different types of courage. If I think of my teacher, because he used to fall asleep, because he could really sit so easily. He would sit and, so then he put a knife, so then he would wake up, and then he started to sleep sideways, and then he decided he would really practice hard, and then he decided for two weeks, to stand up on his toe and to meditate standing up on his toe. And he said the first hour was a little tough. But after that, it was quite good method. So I don't ask you to do this. (laughs) But in a way, we need to have the great courage to go beyond our habits. This is our courage we need to have. And one of the habits we have is comfort. We have a comfort zone. Generally things are quite easy for us. And I think that's what a meditation retreat in a way is a little difficult because it's a little beyond our comfort zone. When I was in Korea, my first retreat, my first 10 hours a day, three months retreat, it was so difficult. I would be sitting there and I could not breathe, and I had so many thoughts, and I could not ask this question. And I I sat, I changed my seat to sit in front of the open door in summer so I could see outside, it would be a little more interesting. (laughs) And I would only sit one sitting, because it would be kind of three sitting, and then again and again, and only sat the first one, then I would go, do something much more useful. Read a Dharma book, or help in the kitchen, or learn Korean. And this went on for a little while. And then Master Kuzan came, and you know, the first hour he was there, I said, Oh, he's here. I must make an effort. You know, so I really sat straight and I really tried so hard to ask the question. And after 50 minutes, I was so exhausted. <laughs> I thought, You can't stay. I am off. So I went off. And he saw that. And so when I come back, the leader of the whole dictionary in hand said, Master Kuzan said, so we look together, and he said, okchiro chanta, which means to bear beyond strength. And I thought, ah, I must bear beyond strength. And then I thought, they've been doing this for 800 years, and nobody died of it. (laughs) So possibly I can do it too. And this really was a big change in my practice. I think this is because of that sentence that I am sitting here now. Because after that, I never missed a sitting. I was always there. And it became easy. It was not easy to do. But I did not fight it anymore. I just did it. And it was not so difficult. It was so interesting to see that as long as I thought, I can't do this, ah, this is too much, this is too much, then I could not. And once I decided, oh, they do it, I can do it too. And it was fine, I could do it. And then I, I started to arrive before anybody else. So anyway, that I think we need to have that great courage during this retreat to go a little beyond our comfort zone. Also there is to go beyond our emotional habit. I think you know. Often we can be a little fearful, a little anxious when we do meditation, and to try to to be with the feeling, and not to be overwhelmed by the feeling, to not go into the meaning, the story of it, but just to be ah, this is a feeling, this is an emotion, just to let it arise and pass away, like everything else, it arises and pass away. When I was in Korea. I uh, used to be very afraid of the dark at night. And so once we had to do this uh, one-week non-sleep uh, retreat. You, you sit all day and you sit all night. And what was worrying me, not the sitting, but the going to the toilet at night. I thought, you know, s- something dangerous was going to get me. And so I go to Master Kuzan, and he said, oh, do the question. What is this? What is this? You'll be fine. I thought it would be like a magical talisman. Save me from the bad guys out there. So I would go out, you know, 2 o'clock at night. What is this? What is this? What is this? And then I realized it worked. Because before, I used to go out and I used to think, there is a man with a knife. He's going to get me. This is awful. This is terrible. And I used to, my heart used to beat. And then by doing, what is this? What is this? It was not magic. It was a present. I would come back to the moment and I could see who would come, to know, who would come who would know about me to come and get me in the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and then my fear went. So in a way to try to see, can we have the great courage and not be taken over by our emotional habits? Or we might have the mental habits. And one thing that we have is sometimes what we do in meditation is daydreaming. You sit in meditation, trying to be with the breath, trying to be with the body, tomorrow with the sound, and suddenly you have this wonderful thought. If I was, if I had. And then you go into this wonderful daydreaming. Everything goes according to plan and you tinker with it and I ring the bell already but it was so interesting. I think we're getting really going really nicely. And daydreaming is very seductive because it's a monoreality where everything goes according to plan as you want it. You know? It's like you are you make a film and you do everything. You are the actor, the screenwriter, the producer, the director, you even sell the peanuts. And it's wonderful, but then you know, you come down and then you get a little frustrated by this multiple reality. When I was in Korea, I used to daydream. That was one of my really big mental habits. I used to daydream, I was going to go to a hermitage, I was going to practice so hard, I was going to be awakened, I was going to save everybody. So I used to daydream about meditating until I realized this was not cultivation, <laughs> this was daydreaming. And then I'm trying to come back to come back. So in a way, having the great courage to not, in a way, be taken over by the habit, but to see ah, daydreaming, back to the breath, back to the sound, back to the body. So this is what I would really encourage you to do, to try to cultivate the concentration, the wisdom, the ethics, to try to, to see the difference between cultivation and effect, to really develop great faith and great courage, so that really this retreat can be of benefit to us. And also to see that we are all in it together. I think it's very important to see that we don't, if we don't just do this for ourselves, but the fact that we all together on this retreat, we support each other. And that's why it is so important to respect the schedule. And one sitting is a little strange in the day. This is an optional seat in the evening. This is really optional. You don't have to come. But if you decide to come, the time is not optional. <laughs> <laughs> so you come at the beginning and you stay till the end, please. Thank you. Are there any questions or comments? We have a little time. there is nothing, Mm -hmm. then we'll do some walking meditation then. So now there is a walking meditation for 45 minutes. And so again, trying to… Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit Dharmaseed.com